it wasn't supposed to happen. Uh, it just every day it got closer and it's like, they don't have this. I, that's when I realized they did not have this fire. On the night of August 29th, 2021, the Caldor wildfire blazed into Sierra Tahoe's West Bowl. Dramatic U.S. Forest Service webcam footage showed a hazy orange sky with flames licking the summit lift line. Caldor is only the second wildfire in history to burn from one side of the Sierra Nevada mountain range to the other. Over a period of 69 days, it burned 221,835 acres, larger than New York City's five boroughs. It destroyed over 1,000 structures and prompted the evacuation of more than 50,000 area residents. Despite rigorous mitigation efforts, 80% of Sierra Tahoe's 2,000 acres were impacted by the blaze. A maintenance structure and the $5 million worth of equipment and gear within was lost. Six of the ski area's nine lifts suffered significant damage. It's hard to fathom what it would be like to be the boots on the ground as the fire approached and what it's like to deal with the aftermath. So Sam sat down with the resort's general manager, John Rice, just before Thanksgiving to better understand. What follows in this two-part special is a conversation that explores what happened in the days leading up to the fire, whether anything more could have been done different to protect the resort, and what's next for Sierra Atajo. Hi, I'm Olivia Rowan, publisher of Sam Magazine, and with me are Sam's editor, Dave Meeker, and senior editor, Katie Brenton. So, John, I think I speak for everybody in the industry when I say we all watched in horror as the Caldor fire became, came barreling down the canyon and made a direct hit on your ski area. Your experience preparing for, during, and after the ashes settle will be told many times over in our industry, and we want to try and learn um, from your experience and how to be better prepared for wildfires, which can, which will be an ever increasing threat um, with climate change. So we've much to ask you and lead uh, and to lead us off will be Sam's senior editor, Katie Britton. So Katie, why don't you take it away? Sure. Thanks for taking some time to talk with us, John. So we know the fire was burning for about two weeks before it reached Sierra. When did you realize the mountain was going to be in its direct path? Well, I'm, I'm an elected official here in town. I'm on our local fire board and uh, Lake Valley Fire. So I was able to go to the incident command meetings in Placerville for about 10 days leading into this. And at the time, the, the thing was 30 miles away. Uh, I was assured that there were no reasons to be threatened. Anyone up Canyon that they had this under control um, we were looking at the previous fire, the Tamarack fire that hit down by uh, not too far in Alpine County and also the Dixie fire and the behavior of the fires and the fact that the fuels were loaded up in the forest and that there were some concerns on how those two fires sort of got away. So I was there concerned about, of course, the Tahoe community representing the fire district, uh, knowing that we were a resort that was in between us and the fire uh, our community, that we would be a, a likely place to look at possibly if it did get ahead and got too far out that we could try to stop the fire at the resort. So uh, going to those meetings, I was wearing my Lake Valley fire hat and my my little uh, Lake Valley shirt, logo shirt, so I could have some credibility. Then in the meetings are mostly Cal Fire, Forest Service, uh, Office of Emergency Services people, uh, some politicians, county supervisors and the like. 
So uh, I went in there representing and would say my name and say I'm with the Lake Valley. I was able to get into some conversations behind the scenes and really kind of understand how things work. And it was a joint command, meaning that the Forest Service and CAL FIRE sort of uh, pulled together and had a, had a, a joint command going on this incident. And so there was different philosophies kind of bouncing off each other. And I, it was a real good education for me on how things work. I started advocating for Sierra when I noticed each day as I would drive down Highway 50, I would see the fire getting a little closer and a little closer. And I was riding in the fire truck with our chief. And I said, you know, is the fire supposed to be on the side of the road? <laughs> because I keep hearing, we got this, we got this, we got this. And he says, yeah, this, this is making me nervous. So I then switched to my Sierra Tahoe hat and went down the meeting and introduced myself as being from Sierra Tahoe. And a lot of people looked at me like, oh, Sierra, we love Sierra. I learned to ski there. And everybody came up to me. And uh, and I was assured, again, don't worry. It's not going to get to you. We've got a plan. Um, each day they would go through their incident command and they would they had a sort of a process going around the room, but they would give an update and they'd talk about what the weather would be expected and they would bring in their fire behavior analysts and they would give a little, well, we think the fire is going to move two miles today because of the 20 mile an hour winds, the diurnal winds where that are going to shift at night and going to hold it at night and then we'll hit it hard and it's going to move a little bit. It seemed like almost every single day they were saying we're under, we underestimated the fire. It outperformed our behavior, which is pretty much what happened at Tamarack and Dixie. And the issues were the fire was spotting uh, much farther ahead than they thought by wind and by driven by its its own nature, its own force. Um, the dryness of the, uh, you know, the forest fuels, as well as the needle cast, they were saying if there's a needle cast of sparks that it was in the 90 percentile, like every spark, 90 out of 100 would start a new fire. So I started to become concerned as, uh, you know, like I said, driving up the canyon going, are we okay here? At the same time, I was waving in front of anyone who was interested our wildland fire plan, which um, I put together a couple of years ago as a result of rising insurance premiums and wanted to share with our insureds that we had a plan. We knew our buildings. We knew what our resources were. We had water. We had defensible space. We had all the right stuff. And we had already a pre-arranged agreement to stage here at the resort in the event you know, of a large fire. So uh, I probably gave that plan to six or seven people. So, you know, best laid plans, of course, uh, disasters don't follow the plan book sometimes as, as they should. But um, we did have a plan. We did have uh, some thoughtful ways of looking at this. And I, I begged, borrowed, and stole from some other ski areas. You know, what were the best practices out there? And like, you know, turn on your snow guns and, you know, getting equipment in the right places and all those kind of things. But it seemed like I was becoming a bit of a pest because I was going up to everybody in fire command going here, here's our plan. Look, here's our resources. We've got water. We've got this, we've got equipment. I've got, you know, cooking facilities, sleeping facilities. What do you need? Radios. Um, and I kept being told, don't worry, don't worry. You're, you're, you're good. You're good. We're, we got this. We got this. So now the fire is about 11 miles out. Now I'm getting a little more nervous and it got to a place where really started to have to think not just protecting the community, as in my fire duties, but also the resort and, you know, people's jobs and livelihood and just everything that went with that. So um, as it got to where it was then three miles away, 
I realized that there was a real good chance that they're not going to be able to stop it. And so I offered again, we are a place where you could potentially put up a, you know, a, a good fight, if you will. And it seemed to me that their plans were just each day were not working, not working. The fire was outperforming. The winds would come up and it would, you could see the, the fire continuing to move through the canyon. So uh, that's when I became really nervous when it, when it was three miles away. And now, now there's this eerie color in the sky and the smoke was unbelievable. And we were picking up ashes of like oak leaves, which are so far away from us. So it was casting all these pieces of burnt bark and black oak, oak leaves. And I was like looking at them going, wow, it's coming. So what do you do? You've, you've got your fire plan. How much does that serve you in your preparations versus like how much took you by surprise? You know, from there, what I realized what they really needed was they needed to know what resources were available at the resort. Like how much water do we have? How much, how much parking space that's free of any kind of trees and, and vegetation. I needed to really get them just a really short list, not a nice plan that had what the building materials were made of and that kind of stuff. And in doing that, um, put a one pager together and just said, here's what we have. I've got tank 95,000 gallons of water. I've got you know radios, generators. I've got fuel. I've got this. I've got that. And again, went around and passed it around to everyone. I finally got the attention of, of a gentleman who said, maybe we should stage at Sierra. And I'm like, hallelujah. Uh, I was talking with Tim Coey. You know, he went through the fire down in uh, China Peak. And he said, had he not had them staged in their parking lot, China Peak would be gone. If you drive up there, it's black all the way and you get to their little footprint of the resort. And he said, of course, they saved our little footprint because they were there in the parking lot. I said, I've been advocating for that. We already have an agreement in place. Well, Rather than a full fire camp or a spike camp, they call it, which is a kind of a reduced version, what we were given was a staging site. And so uh, the fire officials came in, they surveyed the area, they moved pretty quick, they put signs up, they brought a trailer in with ice and water in it. They said, we're getting porta potties, you're gonna have, tomorrow there's gonna be so much activity here. What we got were 60 dozers, um, heavy equipment dozers, a couple of uh, fuel trucks, about eight water tenders, and no fire crews. And essentially, they were staging the equipment they were going to use to build fire breaks between us and the fire, and in case they needed it between us and the next stop, which was Echo Summit. They kept kind of moving the perimeter of where the fire expectation would be. At the point, it was at Strawberry Creek and what's an area called Pack Saddle Pass, which is to the west of here. Um, they were pretty confident they were going to catch it there. They had done a lot of dozer lines in there. They were going to set some backfires. Well, of course, the wind shifted. It didn't follow the, the uh, analyst behavioral plan and came over their containment lines, got into Strawberry. It was, it was on the news, the little town of Strawberry. They set some backfires there. Uh, and then, it was, then I knew now we're in trouble. Because I don't have fire crews. I have dozers. They're nice people. They're equipment operators. They're not firemen. Got all these dozers in the parking lot. I've got all these trucks. And I went up to the person in charge and I said, what are we doing here? And, you know, I, then a couple of trucks came up. A couple of uh, strike teams came up from the lake that were put together by multiple agencies around Lake Tahoe. So you had North Tahoe, South Tahoe, Lake Valley, Tahoe Douglas, put two strike teams together. 
And the battalion chief came up who works for us and said, oh, Mr. Rice, we're here. We've got two crews. We're ready to go. You, where do you need us? And I said, well, go talk to the person in charge. They went over to talk to the person in charge. And I, I said, this is Chief Pevenage from our local fire department. And he's got two strike teams. And he said, what's the plan? And, and the dozer boss said, there, we don't have one. And he looked at me like, like, we don't have one? Like, is that no plan? She goes, no, no plan. We're, we're kind of on standby. And it was on the radio. And at that point, we could hear on the radios that the fire had jumped from Strawberry to the next close spot, which is Camp Sacramento, which is literally on the other side of the West Bowl. So um, then it was like, we're in trouble now. Now I know we're in trouble. We had turned on all of our, you know, uh, sprinklers and all that stuff. We'd done a ton of defensible space work. There was a crew from AIG Insurance that brought some Type Six engines and some well-trained hotshot crews that provide services to homeowners to us. That was sent by um, Tim Hendrickson and the crew out at Mountain Guard. Sent us these guys. They were awesome, by the way. They did a ton of defensible space work. They brought a material called Thermogel, which is a it's an interesting story. So years ago, uh, fire inspectors would go to these fires and say, what burned and what didn't burn? And what they found, the one thing that didn't burn were baby diapers. So yeah, go figure. So he said, it must be the material in the baby diapers. So he pulled out the gel material and um, basically made a, you know, made a, a, that material liquid and sprayed it on a building, tried to light the building and it wouldn't burn. So essentially, they sprayed all of our buildings with thermogel. You can actually buy it. It's like $500 a gallon or something. But everything that was sprayed with thermogel survived. Wow. It's interesting. So they went into action doing that work for us. We had done all the defensible space work. One of the things they showed us is where the black ashes and the leaves and the things had been coming in, wherever that would collect, they said, that's where the fire is going to go. And so you do all the work and you think you're done, but then you'd go to these little nooks and crannies and you'd see that's where the stuff moves and the wind blows it. So we paid special attention to those areas where stuff collects like under buildings around the corner, it would eddy around the corner and could sneak in that way. They were uh, duct taping every single vent on every building where sparks could get in through a vent. Uh, it was really interesting watching them. These guys, this is what they do for a living. They'll go to houses and do this. But anyway, now the fire's coming up the backside of the West Pole, and my mountain manager and I, Paul, looked at each other like, oh, this isn't good. Rice is referring to Paul Baran, a longtime Sierra employee who climbed the ranks starting in lift ops to become director of mountain operations. And, you know, what else can we do? And the fire crews are like, what do you want us to do? They're like, we're out of here. We're, we're evacuating. Why? Because we, we just got the order to evacuate. Everyone out. Get out now. Go. So Paul and I were going to try to hide and stay and realize that's probably not the best thing to do. We were just ordered to get out and being an elected official with the fire department would probably wouldn't look good if I disobeyed that order. We were shoveled out. We were told, do what you need to do for your lifts and get out. What was going through your mind at that moment? Surreal. It was like, this can't be happening. You know, here's, I've got two fire crews. I know these guys, they want to, they want to help. They want to do something now. Could two strike teams have stopped this fire? No, this thing was, uh, it was going to come in here and do what it wanted to do. And there was nothing you could you know, stop. I, I, I felt like we were as protected as we could be with our buildings, our lifts somewhat, 
didn't know that quite the intensity that it would come in with. So to that end, I think I under I underestimated how much damage there would be because I've seen fires go through the forest and they kind of find little fingers and they work their way down little channels and where the wind blows and where the fuels are. I didn't think it would come in as just this big monster the way it did. And it basically probably reached its peak of its heat and its uh, its travel and speed and, and own generated winds right at the base of the West Ball. And that's where it just came in like, like no one. I, I've seen some videos that some of the firemen have showed me and they're hard to watch. It's just like, wow. Uh, so even those two crews, there was a point when a couple of the crews that were here that stayed, they were catching, you know, any kind of uh, spotting they could get. They were putting every single spot out. They were going around the buildings and base area and on the slopes and, and doing everything they could to put out spot fires. But they reached a point where they were concerned that they might be caught inside this fire as well. They, they could have been okay in the parking lots. That's what we've learned. Everything we had in the parking lots was fine. All the equipment, everything we left out, the older snowcats, the road iron, all that stuff was fine. Um, we had put everything inside one building that we thought it was the three little pigs story here that, the, you know, the brick building foundation uh, concrete block is not going to burn. That's the safest place. We put all of our brand new snow cats and winch cats in there, all of our snowblowers, snowmobiles. We packed it to the gills thinking this place is going to be solid. That building caught on fire. And according to one of the witnesses, biggest ball of flame he's ever seen in his life. And he said, there was nothing that was going to stop that fire from taking that building. And here's all these wooden buildings all throughout the resort. Nothing. So was the brick building didn't have the thermogel on it? No. Five sprung tents, no damage other than at the West Bowl, a little bit of shrinkage uh, from the heat. But uh, in that shop, there were I-beams that are two foot I-beams that were like spaghetti, melted like spaghetti. So they're guessing north of you know, 2000, 3000 degrees of heat in that building. So the, the real bummer for me was uh, I had a call about a week before this event when the fire was still you know, 12 miles away. One of my mechanics saying, hey, uh, should we get our tools out of the shop? I said, why? And he goes, because this is our livelihood. This is what we, my whole life is in that tool chest. I said, no, nah, you're good. You're good. You're in the brick building. You're fine. <laughs> if anything's going to burn, that's the last thing that's going to go. And Turns out to be the only building that went. So um, yeah, we uh, definitely made a bad call. I did on that one, but uh, I had went through through a you know a, an earthquake in Big Bear, and now this at Skiria's, and you see it in tornadoes, you see it in hurricanes. Natural disasters take their path where they want to go. You can't stop it. You know there was in Big Bear there was a house built by a contractor. Next to the house built by the same contractor, one of them is totaled and the other one, not a, not a scratch. And we saw the same thing here. There's a wooden outbuilding next to the shop that's made of wood that had waste oil in it that should be flammable, that has no signs of anything. And 10 feet away is a complete destructive building. So um, yeah, catastrophes have their own kind of path in mind and where they're going, so. Things you can't predict. That's true. John, when you were driving away from the resort after, you know, you guys finally to, made the choice to, to actually uh, to leave, were you talking to anybody? Did you call anybody? What were you thinking? Like, yeah, take so us through I, that drive. I had to go yeah. back to my house at that point because I live in Christmas Valley, which 
there's another sub story here that the fire jumped over where I live. It, it just, a, they call it the Christmas Valley miracle. Uh, and if you saw the map, you'd go, wow. So I had to go back to evacuate my own house. I had so much confidence that nothing was going to happen to my office. Everything I had put in boxes, I put back in my office and I said, I have confidence that we're going to be okay. This fire is not going to destroy the building. It didn't. Uh, I, I wish I could trade my office for the shop. I wish I'd, I'd much rather have this gone, but you know, all the memorabilia worked in the ski business for 40 years and whatever. I was okay with it. I left it all here because I had that much confidence, not so much what might happen with the wildfire, but I I'd had no idea the amount of damage that would be done to the forest and to our chairlifts. Um, when I got to my house, it was, you couldn't hardly see through the smoke. There were police driving around saying, evacuate now, get out now. Like It wasn't like you've got 12 hours to pack. It's like, grab whatever and go. And my daughter was there and she had a couple of things and we basically threw it in a truck and I helped the neighbor throw some things in his truck and everyone was scrambling around and uh, drove down to the Tahoe Keys down by the lake where I figured, yeah, I'll be safe here. John and his family evacuated their home and had to evacuate and relocate twice more in the following days as the evacuation line continued to move in advance of the Caldor fire. It wasn't supposed to happen. Uh, it just, every day it got closer and it's like, they don't have this. I, that's when I realized they did not have this fire. It was out of their control and they were just running alongside of it, kind of guiding it along, trying to figure out you know, there was a lot of a lot of stories, a lot of heroes. Uh, as I mentioned, I, I've watched some videos of people that were here that night, and I, I can't even. Uh, it's just incredible. Where are you at with communicating? You know, with the staff when things are so urgent, and you know, now, now you got to go. And how are you, or are you at this point, or is it everybody's just going back to their homes and worrying about? their own family. The road had been closed about four days prior, so no one could get here. I was getting in basically with my fire pass is how I was getting in, and, um, getting through relationships with higher patrol and the, the road closures. I was able to sneak in and my mountain manager and I, so it was just the two of us. So everyone else was busy evacuating their own homes, but no employee. I, I did have two mechanics come up that got through, uh, we actually kind of helped get them through. And um, they were out there working on the lift side, getting lift started, start getting the generators going. And we're here right up to the point of when we, we were asked to leave as well. So I had a total of four people that were uh, preparing and doing what they could uh, as best we could. John, it sounds like your relationship with the Lakeview Fire Department and, and being able to wear that other hat and be in those meetings was really important to your ability to, obviously there was a lot of damage, but for the, the parts of Sierra that, that we were able to save, being dialed in there and, and that relationship with Mountain Guard and um, the crews that came in there, it just, it seems like a, the, you were able to do a lot in advance of the fire getting to the resort. Yeah, I can't emphasize enough the relationship. I think every resort probably has an annual walkthrough with their local fire jurisdiction and they look at their buildings and check their extinguishers and that. But going a step further, um, the, the learning that happened with the AIG crew, they were here for about a week prior to the fire and we didn't pay them, they were sent as a gift. And this was a kind of a first for them to go to a commercial property, they had been mostly doing uh, work in 
you know, in the city and urban in uh, wildland interface areas. And so when they first showed up, here's all these red trucks and these guys get out. And I'm like, oh, geez, who are these guys? So I said, hey, where are you from? You know, it's, well, we're, we're based out of Oakland. Oh, OK, where, where are you from? Well, we're in Denver. How about you, Arizona? I'm like, OK, right. I'm thinking, oh, geez, they don't know anything about the mountains. So I asked this one kid, I said, uh, have you ever been to a ski area before? And he goes, yeah, I have a season pass at Sierra. I grew up skiing here. This is my favorite resort. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, OK, so you know your way around. He goes, yeah. I said, that's great. And he goes, I, he goes, I want to get married here, in fact. I'm like, wow. So I asked the next guy, what's your story? He goes, I worked at Mammoth for nine years. And then I, I drove snowcats. And then I, I worked fire up in Bishop. And that whole, I was like, really? So now I'm starting to feel good. Like, okay, I got a couple of guys that know mountains. They understand it. And then I asked the, the head guy, I said, so what, you know, what's your background? He said, I'm retired Cal Fire. And, and I said, oh, I said, do you, do you still interface with some of the guys? He goes, yeah. And he goes, the guy running the fire right now, uh, I mentored him. I'm like, really? So at the next time I went down, I asked the guy, this is when the fire is still far away. And I said, do you know this guy, Doug? And he goes, yeah. He goes, I love that guy. He taught me everything I know. So I had more confidence in that crew. Um, the one thing I didn't, that I found out on these fires when they last for weeks like this, they change the guard every couple of weeks. Like you'll have a fire crew. They'll have all their analysts. They'll have all their stuff. And they'll go, okay, well, our team is just about done. And team 12 is coming in next week. And we're going to start transitioning. And there is no question that there's a one or two day sort of hiccup that happens as they're transferring control and incident command. And I think they do it to keep their minds fresh and, and bring in new thoughts and that. But there's, there's no question that there's a significant um, transition time that affects decisions. So it's getting to know new people. And uh, again, I wore the fire hat when I needed to. And then I put the Sierra hat when I needed it and had both hats in the car and, and uh, you know, leveraged that the best I could. They eventually moved the fire incident command once it got to us they moved it down to one of the casinos and um, they were doing their, their updates in that. So I could get to it, but uh, again, they're all different people, all new faces, all new. They're from all over. They're from Montana, Nebraska, uh, you know, California, Oregon, from all over the place, Virginia. So you're, re, you're reintroducing yourself exactly. throughout this whole thing. Yep. Wow. So it, it would be fair to say that communication throughout this process was one of the, the challenges. Critical, critical. So, and, you know, it helped the, the relationships that we built for years with law enforcement was key because they're standing at all these, you know, road closures. And if you don't know the guy, it doesn't matter who you are, you're not getting through. They didn't care that you ran a ski area or you were the head of operations, didn't matter. If you didn't have a pass, you know, an access pass, you weren't getting through. And so um, knowing who to call at the fire that would give the authority of the list of names to the people that needed to get in, those were, those were really key. And um, they didn't want anyone coming in. It was blocked off. You know, this was an area that was, uh, there was still active fire burning and, and I was able to, I, you know, we pulled a few things. I had um, the first day I was, I was in Truckee when I got evacuated uh, after the second evacuation, I'm sorry but I had to get down to the resort and they had the roads closed up by Tahoma, by Homewood basically is where they closed the road coming into South Lake. It was closed on 50 and it was closed at the bottom of Spooner Summit. So you couldn't even get into the Tahoe Basin. I mean, it was like serious lockdown on the entire community of South Lake Tahoe. 
Join us for the second part of this two-part special where we continue the conversation with John Rice about the aftermath of the Caldor fire and the long-term impacts on Sierra. And in the spirit of supporting the Sierra team, subscribe or renew your subscription to Sam Magazine by the end of January 2022, and 10% of proceeds will go to the employees of Sierra at Tahoe Caldor Fire Relief Fund. Head to www.saminfo.com and click subscribe. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. The PodSAM advisor is Alex Kaufman. I am Sarah Bordeaux, and thank you for tuning in to PodSAM.